Hello and welcome everyone to another prim and proper episode of Analytical Fanboys. I'm of course one of your hosts, Simeon the Vacuuminator Scott, and I am joined as always by my esteemed co-host, Mr. Chris Boingo Ryder Gaston. How are you doing, sir? Well, this is the story of a girl who cried a river and drowned the whole world. She looks so sad in photographs, but do we love her? Wow, I, I didn't know you enjoyed Margaret's character in this show so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, in case you haven't guessed, everyone, uh, because it was announced like a couple episodes ago, in this episode, we're talking about the first season of the Netflix biopic docudrama, uh, I think that's the correct terms, The Crown, uh, which is about the early years of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. Who is also the current queen. Yeah, uh, she not dead yet, as far as I know. No, she just has a we bunch could, of corks. We could, we, we could upload this, and literally at the same time the news breaks that she's dead. I hope that doesn't happen, though. That, you, that'd be fucking, that'd be fucking dark, brah. Yeah. I mean, she is up there, but... <laughs> I don't know. I, f I think she's... As morbid as this sounds, everybody has suggested it. I think she's just waiting for Charles to die so she can go. Because she doesn't want Charles to be king. No, they've already decided the next uh, in succession. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. It's the bald, it's the bald prince who has the, the kids. Oh, so... Uh... Not Harry. It's the other guy. Yeah, it's his brother. Um, Peter? No. No, not Peter. <clears throat> We're royalty experts, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we. That's why I picked this show. Yeah, it's you so can tell. You can tell by our fucking <laughs> accents. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I picked this show primarily because um, I'm generally not that big into the royal family or um uh biopics but i feel like and i'll i'll tell everybody why once we get a little more into the discussion but i feel like this show makes a tremendous argument for both those things and it kind of made me interested in looking at them some more uh but we'll talk about that later um since this was your first experience with it chris uh and it was actually my third um, why don't you go ahead and give me uh, just your brief thoughts and like a best thing, worst thing. Okay. The briefest, the brief thoughts was, eh, not for me. The more expanded version of that is, this show is really well put together. It's really well acted. It's really well constructed. The sets are beautiful. The costumes are beautiful. The research is excellent. The camera angles are great. The cinematography is amazing. The direction's really good. The acting is top-notch. I just don't give a fuck. <laughs> I kind of got the feeling that would be your reaction like, after I got your reaction to it being selected. Like, I can appreciate all that was put into it. And, and, and watching this, that's what made me get got through it. It was very mm -hmm. much of... Okay, cool. I just want to see. I just who's the fuck playing Winston Churchill? I just want to see fucking John Lithgow chew the scenery. I just want to see him. Yeah. I just want to see him act. 
you know. John Lithgow uh, was amazing in this. I think he, for my money, he probably gave the most honest portrayal of Churchill ever. Yeah. I, like, all of the actors are fucking great. They're dope. Their costumes are amazing. All the set. Like, like I said, everything's good. Like, it's a top-notch production. I just don't give a fuck. And, uh, can you, can you say a little of, like, why you think that is? Is there, is there like, an explanation you have for your no fucks given? Uh, there are multiple reasons, and as we go further, I can give more explanations as to why, but I think the biggest reason I have against it and other period pieces and things like this, because I, I, I will say this, there's a couple docudramas that I do enjoy, or that I want to see because they look interesting. Like the one about the NWA, Straight Outta Compton. That looks interesting. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. It's been out for a bit, but that looks interesting. Like, um, I Love You, Philip Morris. That's an amazing movie. Have you heard? Do you remember that one? I have not even heard of that. Okay. John, uh, Jim Carrey, and uh, who's the guy who played the young Obi-Wan? Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Basically play a gay couple, but Jim Carrey plays a convicted felon who regularly gets sent to jail, but also regularly escapes jail just to get back to his lover, Philip Morris. Huh. And it's just like a weird, goofy movie. And that's, that's, that's what I, that's the biggest thing. It's, The Crown is a really well put together, really well done, period story about people. But it's not people you care about or find interesting. No, because they're rich and they're rich asshole problems and it's like, I don't want to fucking look at rich asshole problems. Like, oh no, my family's name's not gonna be the royal one. It's gonna be Windsor. And it's like, what the... Does it matter? Okay. Okay, see, here's... Here's where I differ from you. Because... I found that extremely fascinating because the way I read that from Philip's perspective, it wasn't about it being the royal name. It was about it being his name. This is a show. Oh, yeah. No, no. That wasn't a a complaint about that specific plot point. That was just more an example of rich people problems. Yeah. Yeah. But um, my point was this show constantly takes little moments to show you just how much societal perceptions of things like feminism have changed in those times. Like, uh, from the outset, there's that moment during the wedding scene um, where uh, Winston Churchill's wife asks, like, why is Anne Obey in the vows? She's the queen. She's going to be the queen. And... And Winston Churchill says she she insisted. It was the, we discussed it, and she insisted. So we had we had to leave it in because back then that was perceived as being a strong woman is ta- is taking control of your own position and saying no, this is how I want it. This is how it's this is how it is for everyone else. I want this. Yeah. And I wasn't really complaining about that plot point, because that, within the context of the story, makes sense. It was just more of an example of rich people problems. 
Okay, so you just on principle do not like this kind of stuff. And here, because here's the thing, you can have rich people stories, because I've read several of them, because I was a theater fucking major. You have to read a ton of rich people problem stories because, well, you have to read Shakespeare. And this feels very much like it's meant to be a modern Henry VIII. You know, a recent king, a recent piece of royalty, and the troubles and the stories and all the... the, the. But the thing about Henry VIII is that there's an end... <laughs> so he, mm-hmm. so Shakespeare could go like, and da 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 da, end. There's no end to this now. There's no well, end. I think the thing is, they're probably betting on the show being going for just long enough that, um, by the time it's over, there will be an end. Yeah, but like because, you... go ahead. But you know what I mean? It, 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 it like, everything just feels like. And then... Well, that's the thing, is this is a very episodic, I want to say is the right term. It's, it's a very episodic look at these people's lives. It's like... It's snippets. Okay, the first couple episodes is introducing us to these characters and getting them into the position they need to be in for the story. Because... Um, I'll go into that point later, but... And then after that, it's, okay, everybody's in position. Here's a thing they have to deal with for this episode. Here's a couple things they have to deal with for this episode, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's understandable when you're trying to present historical fact in a story. Like, one of the best docu- uh, docudramas I've ever seen was the um, Steve Jobs one that takes place on the three Apple conferences. Have you seen that one? Uh, I've seen the trailer for it. I thought it looked fairly interesting. Basically, they wrapped up the three eras of Steve Jobs' life into these one days. And basically, huh. like, the first, uh, like, the first one is the first time they introduced the Macintosh. The second one was when they first introduced the iMac, and the third one's when they introduced the iPhone. I think. I may be wrong on that. But because they took these three very specific eras of Steve Jobs' life and just condensed all the important things, it was just rapid fire, do, 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 problem, problem, problem. Uh, this is your kid. No, she's not. Um... Steve, the Macintosh is going to fail. We should focus on the Apple II. Shut up, Wozniak. And it's just all condensed in one day. Where, because this is much more time accurate, it feels much more... For lack of a better way of describing it, it feels much more of a slow burn. Yeah. And it's it's weird, because usually I don't like slow burns, but I felt like this show packed just enough into each episode that it it did never feel as slow as it really is. Yeah. But also, Um, another, I have, okay, this is a weird problem, and you may not have felt it, but I kind of did. It felt like we never left the first act. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what they're doing, because 
I, I imagine you didn't look into the show a whole much. You just watched it. And I, I know it's uh, it's inspired by a play, and the playwright is writing the show. Hmm. Well, the plan is uh, with the show is um, each two seasons is like a decade of her life, and then um, well, also there's the occasional flashback as you as you saw in a couple episodes. Yeah. Um, um, and then every two seasons, they change out the cast. Like, um, season three hasn't come out yet. We haven't gotten a lot of announcements for it yet. It's supposedly in production. But, uh, Matt Smith and Claire Foy aren't going to be back in the roles in season three. It's going to be a new cast. And season two does sort of have a climactic ending. I don't know if it's the end of a first act, but it does feel like a climactic ending. And the only reason I didn't say, well, let's do seasons one and two because it's like act one is because that's 20 fucking episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And this episode would have been out a month out, uh, later. Yeah. But, um, like, everything just felt like an inciting incident and not a, and not a addition to it, you know? And, uh, and that may just be because I... I was not invested totally in it, so I didn't... So I was much more of like, okay, okay, that's a plot point. Well, I'd have to slightly disagree with you, because, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, Margaret's whole subplot is kind of just this season. Like, the Townsend stuff is only barely brought up uh, next season. Um, that's all kind of, like, contained within this one. So I'd say that's almost their narrative structure that that makes it feel like one piece. Yeah, but that always, felt, every... like it, that always felt like it was in the background compared to the queen and her... True, and that's how it should be, but it was... There were a few moments where it got pulled more to the forefront and became a thing she had to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's a good show. I just don't, I don't partic- I don't like this kind of stuff. Huh. I just don't like stuffy, dry period drama pieces. Like, I like, like, um, uh, school I went to uh, for theater. They did Pride and Prejudice one uh, season. It is. It is. I like it's a literary classic. It's great and wonderful, and is a basis for a lot of great stories. It is a hard thing to sit through. Hmm. Like, and it may just be because I'm so used to what I call pulp stories, like comic books and adventures of the strange, and stories that focus much more on like direct, immediate understanding of, uh, of the story and the characters instead of let's explore who these people are in the society. I, I'm, I'm much more invested in stories that are like, all right, we're doing this, this, and this. Let's go. So you're not really into um, character piece kind of um, historical drama stuff this is just real outside your wheelhouse yeah like um i'm trying to think of anything that might be 
close that I like. Like, I don't know. I liked Othello, but that's, again, it's a very direct, simple plot, and it's just go beat, 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 beat. Well, I guess this is just a place where we really differ, because I'm... I'm much more into this kind of stuff. I do like the period piece, historical drama, um, kind of like looking at a real person and telling a story with them that's maybe not necessarily 100% accurate. And um, I'll tell you why I like this show so much, because I kind of teased it back at the beginning there. And we're almost 20 minutes in now, so I guess this is a good time for me to um, <laughs> go on the attack. Uh, using quotation marks there. Yeah, I, um, I've said a lot of negative. Bring up the posse, bring up the posse. Okay, so... I, like many um, uncultured Americans, uh, for the longest time did not get the whole royal family thing. Well, I didn't even understand that Britain still had, had a democracy and that the royal family were just kind of there. I, I thought it was so weird and backwards that there was still a royal family in Britain, and I didn't really understand their politics at all, except for Parliament is always a huge shouting match. Um, yeah. And, uh... For the, can I explain, uh, for the audience who don't know how uh, the British monarchy works, the British monarchy technically has the power, but they don't because uh, they anoint the Prime Minister to build them a government. Which basically means, hey, just keep things running for me. Yeah. They're in charge, but they're not in charge, so that they can't be blamed if things go horrifically wrong. Well, no, it's because the the people took the power away with the, the Magna Carta. Well, yeah. Like, history in itself. I like history. It's just, I like history in the context of history. Okay. Well, getting back to my point... <laughs> um... Sorry, I just... I, history lesson real quick. Okay. So I didn't understand the royal family at all. And the first time I watched this, I just watched the first two episodes. And I thought it was really sappy and melodramatic and not my kind of thing at all. And I, and I was very much like you. I was like, why do I give a fuck about these people? Then... My mom found out about the show, and she wanted to watch it, and she was like, have you seen this? Do you know if it's any good? And I was like, yeah, it's not really my thing, but I think you'd like it. And she's like, well, would you watch it with me? And it became a thing where we'd watch an episode together every night, uh, because this was back when my dad was in the hospital, and we both didn't really have a lot to do when it wasn't visiting hours, and I wasn't at work. Um, and when you get to the third episode, the episode about the fog, and there's that scene between um, Elizabeth and her grandmother where they're sort of discussing the purpose of the crown and how she's supposed to conduct herself and why she can't really have opinions. For me, that was the show smacking me in the face and going, this is what we're doing. Because um, Elizabeth's grandmother basically says in no uncertain terms that it's there to set an example. It's there to inspire. It's not there to rule. It's there to give everyone something to look up to and to strive for. The crown is fucking Superman. Yeah. That's what this show is saying. And it's saying it's, it's, and it's not just Superman. It's, it's, um, 
you know, it's a, a Red Ranger. It's Captain America. It's it's a great <laughs> it's Disney All Might. Hair. It's it's a fucking it's Optimus you know Prime. The, the royal family is pro wrestling. I'm gonna go there because it's <gasps> taking these people with these extremely private lives who come out and put on a show for everybody to give them something to look up to and a window into what is going on with the government and a sort of friendly face in there. And they're saying, look, the royal family is a story. And we're going to show you, we're going to retell that story, but we're also going to show you the other side of it that you didn't get to see when it was going on. And this is just a story. Oh God, we are, are we going to have we a... Are not we're gonna have parallels between this and our our point five episode. I'll get to that yeah, in a second. Yeah, yeah. Oh we'll, my god! We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about that. But I'm I'm not quite finished here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're also saying because they're also saying this about biopics and about docudramas because people always complain about based on a true story. You know, oh, it's based on it. It just has the person's name and likeness on it. It's not really their life story because it's a lot more complicated and and nitty-gritty, and there's stuff you left out, and... Yeah, life is more complicated than a story. That's what this show is saying. We're not trying to tell you the exact autobiography of Queen Elizabeth II. This is a story we are telling using the kind of general facts everybody in the British public knows about her life. And that's what I think makes this show great, is... That it admits what it is, and it just rolls with it. And there's a lot of other little moments where they do stuff like that that I noticed on this watch through. But that's like my big, this is the scene that makes the show for me moment. But what I was talking about a second ago with the parallels is it's, it's a story of showing the real life the real the real what's the it's not problems it's the real consequences of having to put on this air of a character for the general public mm -hmm. which for queen elizabeth it means uh alienating parts of her family her uh, uh having a strained relationship with her husband a variety of other things having to make compromises on her own wants um and for our point five episode it means drugs yeah <laughs> Which um, can we at least give a like a brief like this is what the point five episode is? Uh yeah, the next point five episode is gonna be both uh Money in the Bank twenty eighteen and the recent WWE documentary on the Hardys. Hardys Woken. Like that's just a great fucking name for their talk. Yeah. Especially but, because uh, I'll talk about it later. Um okay, I get I understand that. And you know what? It that that is a very if I go into the show instead of thinking, oh, I got, I, I'm watching a period piece, because that's what it felt like to me. It felt like a period drama and not a uh, a political drama, which I, I'm iffy on political stuff anyhow, but I tend to like them a little bit better. Um, like, I'm trying to think of anything political I've watched. Eh, a couple episodes of Star Trek? <laughs> no, because the only other examples I can give are, like, not really political dramas. They're, like, 
here's a brief idea of the politics of this one fantasy world. Because we just want to give the we just gonna want to give the main character waifus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, if I went into this with that kind of mindset, maybe I'd like it more. It, and I hate saying I don't See, like it because here's the thing: I enjoyed looking at the sets. I enjoyed the characters. The characters are fucking great. Yeah, we'll we'll get on to that in just a second because I do want to kind of go down the main cast list. Um. But see, the thing is, I think, because of the experience I had with it, I think those first two episodes are made somewhat more to feel like a historical drama and a political drama in order to lull you into a false sense of security for that slap in the face in the third episode. And then that's supposed to transition you into what they want you to be experiencing the show as for the rest of the series. Right. Um, oh god <laughs> Jesus Christ man <laughs> we've had to stop recording once already because of fucking burps yeah okay <laughs> um so let's go ahead and go down some of the main cast and talk about uh, their portrayals and just the general writing of their character and I'm gonna say character because like I said this is the show wants you to treat it more as a story than as a retell or a uh what's the correct word a recounting of historic events um so let's start off with of course queen elizabeth ii portrayed by claire foy what did you think she played the character very very well it she always towed the line of naive in over her head unsure of what to do and knows her between that and knowing what she is and what she's capable of and the political power she does have and how to use it to her her, to her maximum possible benefit yeah it's it's a really interesting and sort of subtly built over the series portrayal because she starts off as very much just um trying to enjoy her life of her husband and building a family, and then, of course, she gets called up to be the queen much younger than she expected to be, and... Um, Losing her father. Yeah, that was a really well-played scene, I thought, and there's... And not even being around when her father dies, like, oof. Yeah, um, I mean, we can all theorize on it, because nobody knows exactly what happened, but the way they played it in this show, it almost came off like... He sent her away so she wouldn't have to be there when he died. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's this great thing she does a lot of the times when people are um, trying to give a big monologue to her about what they think the crown ought to be and how she ought to handle things, where she just kind of stares back at them very emptily. And I could see a lot of people seeing that as deer in the headlights. Like, she she just keeps falling back on a deer in the headlights look. I don't get that at all. I think that is her um, very clearly processing everything and coming up with her retort on the fly. Um, and it's, it's very subtle, because I, I can see how it could be misconstrued as deer in the headlights. But... Um, 
I, I think it works as this really great just deadpan, I'm letting you finish what you're saying because I'm polite, but I'm going to fucking wreck you in a second. Stay. Oh yeah, it was very much a, 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 a face of uh, stiff upper lip British prosperity. Mm-hmm. Which was, uh, which around, uh, I, I think this was more of the tail end of it, but around that time was a very big thing of, like, like, honestly, keep on, uh, keep calm and carry on. Don't let, don't let them, uh, rattle you, uh, rattle what you are and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. um do you have anything else to say about the portrayal of the queen in this? Uh, her costumes were great. A lot of gorgeous gowns and... Oh, yeah. Um, fantastic stuff. <laughs> I'm not a huge fashion guy, especially when it comes to... No, but, fashion. like, I, I, I I, I, like taking several costume classes, I learned to appreciate that kind of thing. It's like, oh, shit, that's well-researched, that's well-done, like... Mm-hmm. Clap, clap. Well, the show generally does come off and i guess we can get into production design for a minute here um the show generally does come off like it has all of netflix's money behind it like there was moments oh, fuck yeah. where you see certain sets and i'm like the fuck did they actually film in buckingham palace you know they might have they do film there every once uh, people do film in the palace every once in a while mm-hmm. um and hey that's the thing to bring up i um we it is a known fact uh, it, that uh, the actual Queen Elizabeth has watched the show. Really? Yeah. Holy um, apparently, shit. Apparently, uh, somebody asked her, somebody who knew both her and Claire Foy um, asked the Queen at one point, and she, and she said she'd watched it. Um, and, of course, they asked Charles as well, and he's like, no, why would I waste my time on that? <laughs> um... But hey, segue, let's go ahead and talk about, uh, um, I almost said Prince Prince Charles, Prince Philip, portrayed by Matt Smith. Um, I want to take the lead on this. Go ahead. Because, like, Matt Smith is one of my favorite doctors. I feel like he does a great job in everything he's in, and I get why people don't like him as a doctor. I think Series 5 is amazing. Um, it's just the latter couple seasons where he got some really shit scripts and Muffat clearly didn't know what he was doing anymore, but Smith still played it really well through all of that. That said, this is his best performance. I love him in this. It's, it's one of the most nuanced, realistic portrayals of a guy in the position Prince Philip is in. I agree with the, so far Matt Smith best Matt Smith I've seen, and I will say this: it may it may it reminded me like why I enjoyed Matt Smith because to be completely honest, I stopped watching Doctor Who around the Matt Smith era just because I couldn't deal with the bullshit anymore, and so I kind of written it all off, including Matt Smith a little bit. But watching this made me go like, oh shit! I want to I want to see him in other shit that's not. It's not poorly written. I want to see him in well-written things. Yeah, it's it's like... This makes a tremendous case for him as an actor and says, like, why has this guy not taken off like fucking Benedict Cumberbatch did? Why is this guy not getting those same types of roles? Because he would be incredibly good at them. Like, the only big American 
roles aside from this I know he's gotten is he was in Terminator Genesis. I refuse to call it Genesis, except to say I refuse to call it Genesis. Um, and from what <laughs> I know, he was just standing in the background that whole movie. Yeah, like I, I hate to I, I hate to say it like this, but I kind of hope he gets a Marvel role. Who would you want him to play who isn't already in the MCU? Hmm. Mm. Uh, I'm trying to think of. Uh, there's a couple people who could. You know what? Okay. Okay. Follow me on this, Mister Fantastic. Ah, um, uh, that's exactly where I went. Because <laughs> yes. Because he can play the very, very straight. Uh, laced, but also like completely unaware of everything going around him. Which, uh, yeah, he does lost in in the thing he's working on extremely well. Like, there's a lot of scenes in his Doctor Who run where he's just doing that. Yeah, but he can also play that serious. Uh, things aren't going the way I want them to, or uh, I am a family man, but I'm troubled by another problem kind of really well in this show that he could do really well with Mr. Fantastic. And he also has yeah. that light and levity that an MCU Mr. Fantastic will need. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, the only problem you could really bring up with him is, yeah, he looks a little young, but guess what? He's a little young, and you just slap a little gray on those sides, and I can, like, I'm I'm envisioning it in my head. I think it would work. Oh yeah. You, you just have to get the right people as the other free members of the FF. Oh yeah. Um. Hell, he's a he's rubber. He oh, he. Of course, he can look young. Yeah. <laughs> that that could even be like a line in the first movie is like. Um, like, have Matt Smith in semi-old man makeup until they get their powers. And then and then it's just regular Matt Smith for the rest of the movie, and somebody like Sue asks, why do you look so young all of a sudden? And he's like, I just figured out I could do it. I can't do anything about my hair, but I figured out I could make my face look young, and I'm going to do and, that. And it's just more of, like, a couple crow's feet. Not so yeah. much that he looks like he's 60, but more like he looks like a 40-year-old man. Mm-hmm. And Sue's also 40, but she's Sue Young. Uh, see, Sue Young? <laughs> That's a fucking wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> Sue Storm um, is generally just, like, seen as, like, a celebrity? A celebrity? A celebrity. Um, oh. in the MCU. So she, could, so she could be 40, but also look 30, because she's just... Mm -hmm keeping health conscious well i could also see them casting really young um with her too because remember until like 10 years after she appeared sue storm was the invisible girl not the invisible woman yeah but she was always the same age as reed richards huh okay i didn't know that yeah th dude they're fucking married I actually read i haven't actually read any early ff i just assumed from that factoid that she was a little younger than him she is like by by like five years okay but like early ff it was very much of a will they won't they relationship hmm. with 
uh, with Johnny being the kid and Ben being the other kid or a big old dog. Okay, we're well, anyways, uh, moving away from <laughs> FFCast, uh, talking a little bit more about Philip's character, I found him extremely fascinating. And they do a lot more with him in Season 2, which depending on how you felt about him in a general sense this season, you will either like or hate. Um, I don't expect you to watch more on this, but I'm saying that for people who maybe watch this for the first time and is listening to this podcast now. Um, the, uh, but uh, in this season, he is such an interesting character because he comes off as just wanting to belong, just wanting to have his family and be able to take care of them and be be the general centurion father of of that era and time and he can't have that because his wife is the queen she always is gonna have to be above him he's always just gonna be kind of standing there in the background um um not being a breadwinner yeah and with the only real function he provides is um a semen sack in I was about to say um, the function of providing heirs, because they say that at one point in season two. Oh, that's a fucking... Yeah, she's hoping for more heirs out of him, which leads to a hilarious scene. Um, But uh, that is a thing they straight up say to him at one point. That's a fucking Um, slap to the face. Yeah. Uh... But yeah, just a just a tremendously well done and nuanced character, almost more than Elizabeth at points. I would say I found him interesting, and maybe that's just because I'm a guy watching this, and it's so interesting to see that traditional family dynamic flipped and see him struggling under that flip. But uh, similar to the yeah, Incredibles really, really. too. Well, well, well. We'll talk. That's that's gonna be another point five. We'll talk about that. At some I haven't seen it yet. So. so yeah. Well, you work on that, and we'll do another point five. Anyways. Um, <laughs> I okay, love derailing so next, anything you ever say. That's all you ever do. But um, yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about uh, Margaret because we kind of touched on her earlier. What did you think of? Uh, her character for this story and her portrayal, which was uh, by, uh, she was played by Vanessa Kirby. Her portrayal was, her portrayal was really good. She, she well, again, all of it was well acted. Um, again, it just feels like a period piece of the the wanted romance. Hmm. Yeah. You know. And. I think that's very much what it's supposed to be because that's how it was always portrayed in the media back then. Like, you see a couple different newsreels about them that are recreated for the show. Um, and that, those were real things where it was kind of like this um, almost Shakespearean drama being played out in front of the British populace. And um, I feel like for portraying that kind of story, they do a very good job. However, I found her character to be extremely unlikable because there's several moments where, and maybe it's just because we have the advantage of getting to see the scene where Elizabeth is told why she has to say these things to Margaret, 
But for me, there's a lot of moments where Elizabeth will explain something pretty clearly and pretty clearly make it clear that she is this was not her decision. She's not at fault here. She's just doing what she has to do and she doesn't even like it. And Margaret will just fucking blow up at her um, over it. Yeah. And, um, like, there were times where Margaret even reminded me of one of my own sisters who, not to get into a bunch of personal crap, but is in the very much the same way Margaret is, kind of the um, crazy one of the family, very hard, very hard to control, not really got it together, and just generally a disruption whenever she's around. Yeah. It, it, um, those are my mom's diplomatic words about her, not my own mind. Lord. Um, yeah. It felt very much like, much like she was the character meant to... meant to feel like... like... you've like the you've changed man character. Like... Yeah. You know? That, that is very much the role she's playing. The character just pl- they're just there to kind of go like, mm-hmm. you weren't like this the other day. Well, I'm different. Like I have a I I have to do something more. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's that scene where uh, that one episode where they're talking about the promise. Um, Elizabeth and uh, I almost said Vanessa Margaret made made to their dad about um, not not doing stuff they have to that fucks one or the other over because of royalty, because that's what happened to him with his brother. And she, she calls her out on that. And she's like, yeah, it kind of breaks my heart that I have to do this, but I have to do this. This, and she just, and, um, Margaret just doesn't get it at all. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderfully punctuated. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, um, let's next move on to uh, Pip Torrens, who plays a kind of the a great villain in this show in the form of Sir Tommy Lassels. Um, yeah, I, I kind of colored the discussion there, but Tommy is just... I'm. I'm gonna say this like he's pro he was probably an okay guy in in real life. They play him as just the straight up douchebag villain, stick to the rules of this story, and it totally works and not in a stereotypical way. Well, it also is like a good like having a character like that having playing up that aspect of him really because we know that we know the rest of the story. It's recent history. Yeah. So seeing someone who goes like, no, stick, stick, stick to what we know, stick to tradition, knowing that eventually tradition does get fucked, tradition does get fixed, um, in the future, it's kind of it, you kind of need that character to set that groundwork out. Mm-hmm. Of here's 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 the things that Queen Elizabeth is going to fix. It's this kind of guy. It's this kind of person. It's this kind of mentality. This is this is the story that she of her fixing that kind of stuff. And there are um, I'll go I'll go ahead and uh, spoil season two a little again. There are some moments in season two where we get to see them sort of buck tradition and have to do something else. And um, there's 
there's like a little bit in Claire Foy's sort of facial expression where she, you can tell she's happy about what they're doing, but she's not allowed to express that she's happy. And everybody around her is just talking about how horrible it is. Um, oh God, I forgot the name of the episode. I, w I was just going to straight up drop it so people who know what I'm talking about will know what I'm talking about. But hopefully everybody gets my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That she wants to be more subversive, but she can't at this point in time. Yeah, she she goes into it with a of a very sort of um, she goes into it doing like the same kind of stuff that uh, Margaret and Philip are constantly saying she should do, of putting her own flair on it, making it more personal, um, um, kind of leaving her mark on the crown. And she's constantly told in those early episodes, just like, no, that is not how we do things. That's how an abdication happens, and we can't have that happen again this soon. Yeah, like, um, like, uh, like, uh, trying to offer Winston Churchill tea and cookies. And Winston Churchill goes like, ma'am, that's not how we do this. Yeah, he, like, loses his mind over that, and it's, it's crazy. And she was um, just going like, no, we're we're having the discussion, we're being, I'm being polite, and he's going like, no, we're business, 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 business. Yeah, um, but, alright, let's go ahead, because he was the next guy on my list anyways, let's talk about Winston Churchill, portrayed by Jonathan Lithgow. One of the um, best things in this fucking show. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, I would dare say this is the most honest portrayal of Winston Churchill, at least in like a big budget thing about British history, because... Everybody kind of likes to tout up Winston Churchill as this great savior of the British people. You know, he let, he led them through this horrible, horrible war and got them out the other side and always super inspirational and in leading the troops. And yeah, the but truth he, is, the guy was kind of a kind of a sycophantic creep at yeah, times. Because he was a leader to get you through a war, not a leader to get you through peace times. Mm -hmm. he was, but, he, but go ahead. He was very much we gotta we gotta we gotta fight we gotta fight, which when you're in a war it's like yeah let's fight let's get them, but when you're in peace times and you have that kind of cutthroat mentality in in, in politics it kind of goes like, bro what the fuck you doing? Yeah, and uh, also just like. God, Lithgow just knocks it out of the park with some of the scenes. When he has to get more emotional, um, when, whenever you see him, like, start to tear up about something, I fucking buy it. I'm in the moment, and I'm like, I almost want to give Winston a hug. Like, no, it's gonna be okay, man. But, like, yeah, really well done performance. And just because of the personality of Winston Churchill, he was consistently one of the most entertaining uh, characters. Mm -hmm. Just like because... That, uh, the episode where he is... where he finds... figures out he has to step down and he has all those interactions with that painter, that was like... that felt like um, a miniature version of a, of a movie about Winston Churchill. Like, you were talking about that, uh, that Steve Jobs movie that's just like um, Three Days in the Life. I felt like that's what they were kind of trying to do with that episode and those scenes. But, 
Also, did he? I wonder if he put on actual weight or if he was wearing a fat suit. Um, from interviews they did to promote the show, he doesn't look that much heavier than normal, so I'm kind of assuming he put on a fat suit. Okay. There's at least some kind of facial prosthetics because he does he does not have that kind of chin in real life. Yeah, no, but the rest of his head looks a lot like Winston Churchill. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's uh like. One of the highest comment, uh, compliments you can ever pay an actor is that they are so good at a role, they are unrecognizable. Yeah, you had I to tell me Lith- it was Lithgow John Lithgow. Lithgow is unrecognizable in this role. You had to tell me it was Lithgow. Um, yeah. Like, and I had to go Google it because I was like, "What? no, fuck off, that can't be true. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think John Lithgow's in... Fuck, I, okay, this is... Continue with uh, phrases. Uh, but yeah, I I just really liked him. And like another great example of this show going, no, this is straight up a story we're telling with these people, rather than a recounting of their lives. Um, is that uh, that assistant of his who dies in the third episode? She was not a real person. That was not a real thing. But for the necessity of getting his character to the place where he put where he changes his mind and starts taking action about the fog in that episode her existence is perfectly justified and we also get some great character stuff for him before then um like uh that that scene where he's having her read the day's reports to him while he's in the bathtub that that is actually a real thing he would do to actual assistance of his there's yeah. there's no um what what's the word for it? There's no reports of him doing that. Yeah, John Lithgow what is in Buckaroo Banzai, which is what I was trying to remember. Mm, yeah, that's that's on the list. We'll get to that eventually. <laughs> it's gonna be so good. <laughs> it's gonna be so good when we do that. Oh man. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and talk about. And uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and uh, say we do them at the same time because they're the last two guys and they get about an equal amount of s- screen time. We have Jared Harris playing King, Jer- King George, the, uh, s- is it the sixth or the fourth? I'm looking at the I am the bill. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Mother- mm, mm, mm. Oh, dear. Oh, man. Second page. I'm on the full. I'm, I'm on the full cast list, so I uh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, Jared Harris is King George the Sixth. Okay, sorry. I'm not good with Roman numerals, in case you didn't know people. <laughs> and Alex Jennings plays his brother, David the Duke of Windsor, who was a king for a brief amount of time before he was forced to abdicate. Yeah. Um. Two really, really good mentor characters, um, one of which, um, just d- because he's alive during the show, they're, they're allowed to do much more with, and at times he comes off as, like, incredibly sympathetic, and, like, you, you get why he does what he does, and you almost feel sorry for him at points, and other points he's just, like, the sneakiest rat bastard ever. Oh yeah, the, like when he was talking, uh, writing the letter to his wife and going like, "We'll get our pension back," and it's like, "Bitch, your brother yeah, just died." 
that's rich bitch problems, but like done really well. Like you get you get both why he's doing it, and you also hate him for doing it. Yeah. Um. Uh, and there's also that one scene uh, in the coronation episode where he's playing the bagpipes and crying because he's he's in that moment he's sad he didn't stay and become king. Um, you're, I was, like, totally with him. I was, like, yeah, it sucks. You fucked up. I, I, it would be interesting to see how different the world would be if you had stayed king. Uh, yep, yep, yep. I think he was king um, during World War One. Uh, yeah, he was king during World War One and, like, up till right before World War Two, I think. Oh God! Fucking imagine that. Go. Our, our king just left. Oh, we're in a war. Yeah. Fuck. There's a. There's actually an episode where they talk about sort of his history in World War One in season two, which is really interesting. But uh, I don't know. We'll, uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying not to get too heavy into discussion of season two because it does obviously color my opinions of this season a bit. Oh, yeah. But uh, I'll just say stuff in this season is a lot more informed by stuff you see in the second season. You want to know um, something funny? I'm look. Uh, I'm looking through Alex Jennings who plays um, the uh, he the plays uh, David. He, no, Alex Jennings plays yeah David Duke of Windsor. Who is the the other kingy dude? Yeah. Guess who he play? Guess another role he has played in. Hold on, let me get back to his page so I can tell you. He played Prince Charles in The Queen. Huh. <laughs> like he just has a face of a royal dude, I guess. Interesting. Um. But yeah, and then. Uh, Jared Harris, who played the dad, uh, in those, in those early episodes, like, such a great performance. He's the first character you see, and in a show where you would expect them to treat all the royals with an extreme amount of respect going into it, the first time you see him, he's fucking coughing out blood into a toilet, and he sells it so well, and the way he nonchalantly asks about it in the next scene is great, too. Yeah, should I be should I be doing that? Is that a thing I should be doing? <laughs> and they're all like, "Oh yeah, don't don't worry. It's it's just a letter. It's perfectly fine." Like, what an English explanation! It's just a letter, dude. Don't worry. It's just the weather. Um, that pain in your chest? Ah, it's just rain. That tumor? Also, rain. Yeah. Also, uh, something to comment on real quick. I'm sure plenty of people are going to want to point out, oh, hey, his pension for lewd limericks isn't a real thing. I don't care. It colors... It gives his, it gives him a nice bit of character. Yeah. Um, and, uh... The scene where, um... He's, he's telling uh, Elizabeth what the boxes are and how they work, that was a really sweet scene, I thought. Um... Like, I, I kind of just wanted more moments like that out of the early show, but obviously we couldn't have them because uh, they needed to propel the story into Elizabeth being the queen. Um, but yeah, just, just a really solid performance, and because we get occasional flashbacks with him, 
I, I generally felt like he was kind of the rock of the show. The rock of the show? Not the wrestler. I mean, the like he was he was the show's rock. Oh, you know, that's what anchored it. I was making sure. <laughs> does he? Because he does get some sassy lines in. He does. He does. Um, the the scene where he wakes Philip up to go hunting is so good. <laughs> but that was nice. Um, the. There's an interview, because I've, I've watched a couple, like, talk show interviews with Claire Foy and Matt Smith about the show. Um, there's a, there's one interview where Matt Smith is like, yeah, I'm pretty sure my butt is a bigger bigger name on the marquee than I am. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but. Um, yeah, this, this. Like, I made my big point about the show. There's not much else to say. I think the sound design in general is pretty good, though the soundtrack, except for, like, a moment here and there, is pretty generic. That's, like... Yeah. That's that's my one big knock against it from my perspective, I'd say, is a lot of it is just general, like, this is the kind of scene this is. This is the m- music you would put for this move. <laughs> There's not a lot of creative choices or... Tracks that are even that kind of interesting on their own. Yeah. Um, if I could just go into the set design, because I love set design, it's fucking gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I can't remember the exact scene it was, but there's a scene with uh, Mother Queen Mary. Um, yeah. And someone comes in, and it's just this gorgeous wall with this beautiful, intricate uh, wallpaper on the background with a, just a bunch of beautiful paintings and it's like yeah that's a fucking royal room yeah that's that's a royal ass fucking room <laughs> exactly it's fucking beautiful um and you know a lot of the location shooting they do is great too like um oh, yeah. there's that one bit in one of the later episodes where um Oh, what's her fucking name? Uh, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. She goes she goes to Scotland for a little bit, and she's hanging out with some friends, and she almost buys a castle. That that was like a really cool little subplot in that episode. I thought, and I loved some of the location shooting there. Like, I have no idea if that's historically accurate at all, but I I just really liked that. Like her. Her budding friendship with this guy who just gives her the castle for a hundred pounds because it's in such shitty condition. <laughs> uh. Um. But yeah, obviously, um, we came out of this. I ha- I had I already liked this show, but I had an even better experience with it this time around. I I don't think it would be unsafe to say you're you appreciated it but didn't like it and probably won't ever watch season two the best way i can put it is if i'm with someone and they go hey want to watch a thing and i'm like sure and they go hey you want to watch this i would not go fuck no i'd be like okay sure whatever i'll be fine i can it's entertaining enough but will i personally go out of my way to go like this is on my i need to watch this now list or "I, i need to finish this kind of thing it, it just doesn't. It just doesn't tick any of my boxes. Fair enough. 
Um, I mean, that's generally a more positive reaction than I thought you'd have um, after you reacted to it getting selected on the list. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, thought... I'll be honest, you totally caught me off guard with your reaction there. I thought you'd have kind of like an, oh, okay. But but for me, it was like, oh, God, I've got to defend this show real quick so he doesn't make us reselect. <laughs> no. I wouldn't um, do that. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much going to do it for our discussion of The Crown. So let's move into some Q&A real quick. Um, the unfortunate, Yeah, unfortunately, we did not get any listener questions once again. Although I did put out the call for questions on, on uh, the Twitter before we uh, started recording. So, hey, it's not entirely my uh. fault this time. It's it's mostly your fault, listeners. The two tars. Why aren't you asking us, Fang? Why aren't you asking us questions? We want questions. Please ask us questions. Hey, if you want to send questions, analyticalfanboys at gmail.com. That's all I'm saying. But uh, we'll go ahead and go on to our randomly selected question of the week. Um, Chris, give me a number between 1 and 10. <laughs> Nine. What is your favorite color to wear? Fucking red. <laughs> I figured as much. Red, I just love red. Like, I was joining a server uh, of a person, and they asked, hey, what color do you want your name to be? And I went, red, like the color of my enemies. Red like the <laughs> red like the blood of the color of my enemies. And it's like, wait, what? And I was like, red like the color of the blood of my enemies. Hmm. Well, uh, I, I tend to wear a lot of dark colors. I won't say I, I wear black. It's not like a conscious choice I make, but a lot of shirts I like do end up being, um, having a black based color to them. You fucking goth. Um, Yes, that's exactly what I am. I am. I am the knight. I am the, Batman. Here's the thing, though. I am probably more... I actually have probably... I, I know what? I can probably guarantee it. I have listened to more goth music than you have. I would I would not doubt that at all. Um, at least I have listened to more... Like, I have listened to more music of that particular subgenre than you probably have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you've just listened to more music in general than I have. And oh I'm yeah. More of like a, I'm more of like a general classic or dad rock kind of guy than I am anything else. Oh, fucker. Um. I, I I I there's a personal need in me to, to kind of fix that to at least expose you to more things. Yeah. Well, hey, that's exactly one of the many purposes of this show. So hopefully we'll get to do more of that later on. I mean, hey, I liked Ghost. Yeah. I I haven't. I haven't listened to the new album yet, but I like Ghost now. Hey, don't you forget about Death. Don't you forget about your don't you forget about dying. Don't you forget your old friend Death. Alright. That's the chorus of another song. Alright. Well, um Yeah, like like I said, I, I have a lot of black clothes, but I wouldn't call myself a black guy. Um <laughs> of course I also, not, you're I also, white. Like, I didn't realize what I did there pretty clearly about. <laughs> God damn it. Um, but uh, I, I do like red quite a bit myself. I've been buying a lot more red shirts recently. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't really have a specific color I like, I wouldn't say. It's more just like color schemes I kind of go for. Like if I if I pick out a pair of jeans, I'll generally go with like a darker colored shirt. If I pair out if I pick out a pair of like khaki shorts, I'll generally go with a lighter colored shirt and maybe maybe like a jacket that matches um, one or the other. Um, you know, I like to keep it pretty balanced and I don't really ever go for um, one or one over the other. Yeah, a reason I typically tend to like red or gravitate towards red in my clothing, like hell, my only pair of shoes are a pair of red Converse. Hmm. Um, is my eyes are green, so it creates a nice contrast. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, and well, like red's also just one of those solid primary colors that goes with almost anything. Oh yeah, like. No joke, often when I'm around people for a regular amount of time, like, we hang out for, like, every day for, like, a good couple months, inevitably someone will go, wow, you have gorgeous eyes. Yeah, I have that every once in a while, too, because I have, like, I have really blue eyes that I get from my dad, like a deep blue, um, and... When I it doesn't so much happen nowadays, but when I was younger, my parents would always point point it out to somebody who's just meeting me, like like look at how great his eyes are. And I always thought that was really weird as a kid, but no, now I kind of get it. No, like dude, uh, I I would get that at least like once every other week in high school, and I'm just going like they're my fucking eyes. Okay, what? <laughs> I don't get it. Ugh. All right. Well, uh, I, I think that's about all we have to say with that question. So let's go ahead and select the next topic. Are you ready to spin the wheel? Ah, that's oh. my camera. I meant to share screen. <laughs> <laughs> I hit the wrong button. You are the wrong button. Well, sometimes. Anyways, uh, okay, can you see my screen? Yes. All right. Selecting all the... Wait, what does that tab say? Pornhub? Shut up. <laughs> like you don't have one open yourself. No, because all they right. close shit out. Good. Well, that would be a good plan. But anyways, enough joking. Let's go, let's go ahead and select what our next topic is going to be. And it will be... Holy shit! Oh. That was quick. Yeah. We're going to be talking about Database Power, Database Rangers Power Reviews Year One, the second season of that show. Already. We just did season one. Holy crap. We, ne we need to get music on there now. We need to get more music. Yeah. I, I've been adding some more music, but my, my suggestions are just so much further along than yours. Yeah. If you want to fill out just the rest of the list up to where I'm at with albums, I have no problem with that. Um, but yeah, that should be pretty fun, especially because you showed such an interest in uh, Power Reviews when we talked about it last time. Yeah, and now I can actually continue watching it, because I wanted to just watch the rest of it. Uh, but, but I think it provides such an interesting perspective where I'm a longtime fan and you're like, just experiencing it. Yeah. Um, 
Alright, well, that is going to do it for if I can turn off my screen share. I just saw What's your outline. I just saw your yeah, outline. You only see that. that. That's literally in the shared Google Drive account for analytical <laughs> fanboys. You okay, dude? Chris? Bruh. Bruh. Chris? Bruh. Am I still recording? Bruh. I'm still recording. Chris, can you hear me? Yeah, no, I can hear you. Okay. Holy crap, that was scary. Discord, like, twitched out for me there. Uh, but luckily my recording is fine. I, I assume yours is. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, I think on that note, we are going to go ahead and end this episode of Analytical Fanboys. Thank you as always to everyone for listening. Um, if you want to listen to more episodes as they come out, hey, there's that handy-dandy little subscribe button. Why don't you go ahead and click that and subscribe to our channel so you can get every episode as it comes out, as well as maybe some more side ventures, because we did that Nintendo E3 thing, and maybe we'll do more stuff like that in the future. I don't know. Yeah. It's a possibility. Um, yeah. If you want to oh, listen God. to this show on the go, there is a Google Drive folder with every episode as an MP3 available. Just go ahead and scroll down in the description, and you'll get a link to it. If you would like to submit a listener question for a future episode of Analytical Fanboys, go ahead and email us at analyticalfanboys at gmail.com. Make sure you put listener question okay to read on air in the subject line. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty much all the AF stuff. I'm, of course, Simeon the Vacuuminator Scott. If you want to check out my stuff, I do uh, tokusatsu and just general superhero analysis videos over on my channel with a... Little, little bit of a little bit of a twisty twist in there, and uh, my channel is the Vacuuminator. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the Vacuuminator. Chris, what do you do, and where can people find you on the internet? I do video editorials, uh, giving my opinions on a variety of things because, of course, I think my opinion is valid and needs to be said. Uh, you can find me at Boingo Writer on YouTube. Uh, search it. Boingo Writer. There'll be a link in the description. Uh, same with my Twitter. Boingo underscore writer. Alright. Well, um, we hope you have enjoyed this episode of Analytical Fanboys, and we hope you will join us again next time when we will be discussing Year One of Database Rangers Power Reviews. Until then, this is Simeon. I am a person. And we will see you next time. Getting it out of the way. Okay. Oh no, there's gonna be more. God damn it. Okay, uh. hello and. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. It's over. Screw it. Shit, we're not doing it tonight. Forget it. So I'm the badass motherfucker, and this is a badass motherfucker show. I'm your host, the badass motherfucker. Okay, that's the only gag I had until he gets back doing his gag. Um...
<laughs> oh my god, is he... How hard is he gonna play this gag? He's still on the call. So let's... Let's wait and see. Ah, uh, yes, he's taking uh, this approach. It's very interesting. Very, very interesting. What on earth... Is that... Oi, oi, oi. Alright, I'm back, boy. <laughs> that was such perfect timing. I know. You should do this, uh, you should put this little intro, this thing we've had, right, this, this bit, as just like a little blooper. As like a... Yeah. 